Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. As you're doing that, just want to mention that Joseph is uh, Joseph and Gina are taking a, a Sunday off, and that's good. He's earned it. This week he taught a course on leadership at Reform Seminary. He actually did that every Monday of the past semester, and then he did a repeat in a four-day fire hose fashion. Uh, for these guys. So he's taught for about six hours a day, as best I can estimate. And so I suspect he is wherever he is, he's keeping his mouth shut today just for sheer survival purposes. He's recuperating somewhere. But we want to encourage you to pray for them as the Lord blesses uh, the ministry of Joseph and other venues around our community. And it's, he's just glad to be able to have a day off, but he always misses Highland. So I wanted to to say that. And also, notice uh, Wilson's back here, got the crew back from Colorado, safe and sound, looks like. Very good, very good. So, when then the junior high goes out this week to reform you, uh, that's wait, RYM, pardon me. We got too many R's in our bunch. Well, having said all that, let's now turn our attention to the, uh, to the Word of God. Let's look together, beginning at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Here ends our reading of God's word. Let's look now to him again in prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you and praise you that here this day we can come to hear your word open to us. Father, we thank you that I'm not the one who is really the teacher here, but merely the instrument. The Spirit is the teacher, and we pray that he might do his work in our midst with great power today. Father, may every heart be opened. May every eye be aware and alert. Father, may every mind be ready to capture the truth which you give to us today. Father, as we come after busy weeks with busy weeks ahead, may we in this time Set all of that aside and simply open our hearts and be ready to receive what you give us. And, Father, having received it, may we be given grace and power by your Spirit to not only be hearers of the Word, but doers of it as well, that we might bring honor and glory to the one who has so equipped us and so given us this gift. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Dad was in his 70s when he showed me a little scar on his forearm that was a leftover from his service during World War II. The scar itself wasn't much. It was really just two little white dots on his left arm that that looked almost like a small snake bite. But what those two dots represented was something else entirely. You see, Dad got those scars during basic training. 
And he got them in a demonstration of what mustard gas could do to the human body. They just put a couple of drops on there just as an illustration. And my suspicion is is that they never forgot the point of that illustration, that a gas attack would be devastating, that a warning to protect oneself from that kind of attack should be heated and heated quickly. Well, friends, I wish I could say that those days are behind us, but of course they're not. The possibilities of an attack by an enemy using an unseen but deadly substance are perhaps more likely than ever in the world in which we live. And because that's true, the demand that that we all learn how to protect ourselves from an attack like that is greater than ever. And among other things, that's driven the military in our country to find better and better ways to keep our soldiers out of harm's way in the event of an attack. You see, back when my mom left the classroom as an elementary school teacher in about 1940 or so in order to do war work, the only kind of battlefield protection against chemical warfare then were the gas masks that she inspected at the Goodyear plant in my hometown where they were made. But now, of course, as we've all seen on the news, and some of you I know have experienced personally, that protective gear has grown into a suit that covers every possible place of exposure on the human body. In other words, what we have done as the weapons have gotten more sophisticated, as they've gotten more deadly, is we've created a new suit of armor in which our warriors can do battle. Now, it's not as impressive, of course, as what came to mind when I read our passage a few minutes ago. We, we went immediately to, to Rome. We referenced in our heads all of the different movies that we saw from Ben-Hur onwards that have involved Roman soldiers, and we started to see that splendor as in our heads. Thank you, Hollywood. But I'll tell you, the MOPS gear that our military uses now may not look so impressive, but it does serve the same purpose. In fact, it may even be a more apt image than ever because our soldiers now have to find themselves not only on a battlefield where they're facing soldiers, but they are facing a danger that they can't see, that can't be touched or smelled or even fought until it's too late. Well, friends, from what Paul tells us here, we too find ourselves on a battlefield. And on that battlefield, we face an unseen enemy who is out to destroy us too. In our case, this enemy isn't just some mindless chemical agent that floats out there in the air looking for some unsuspecting victim to attack. In fact, as Paul tells us in verse 12 here, this enemy isn't even of this world. Our fight, he says, instead is against rulers and powers and evil spiritual beings who serve Satan himself in opposing God and his church in this world. And I'll tell you what, as I think about that, as I read that statement of Paul here in this passage, I simply have to step back and catch my breath because that's scary stuff. And those who find themselves unprepared on this field of spiritual battle as they face these unearthly foes will inevitably become casualties as they fall onslaught to the onslaught of Satan's accusations and his lies and his temptations to us. Well, let me tell you, there's good news today, and the good news is this, is that this does not have to happen to the child of God in Christ. And the reason I say this It's found right here in these words of Paul to the Ephesians and to us at the end of chapter 6. So with that in mind, I want you to see that according to Paul here, you and I have all the equipment that we need to wage spiritual war and win if we will wear it and use it as God intends. Let me say that again. You and I have all the equipment we need 
to wage the spiritual war that we find ourselves in and win in that war if we will wear the equipment God supplies and use it as God intends. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that thought both a challenge and a comfort to me this morning. It's a comfort to me because it reminds me that I'm not left alone in this fight. And that's good because in a fight like the one that Paul describes here, I am really not prepared to win dressed in my own skin anyway. So that's comforting. At the same time, though, this thought is a challenge to me. And the reason it's a challenge is because it means I will have to do something in faith in order to make use of what's been provided for me so graciously in Christ. And just what that something looks like is captured by Paul here for us in the two verbs that he uses, first in verse 13 and then in verse 16, to hang the rest of the passage on. The first of those words, the first of those verbs is put on. The second one them, second of them is take up. Now, if you're like me, you performed both of those actions this morning when you got dressed to come to church. First, you put on. I put on my suit. I put on my tie. I put on my little loafers. And then I started to take up stuff. After the putting on was done, I took up my cell phone, the weapon of the modern warrior in the information age, and I put it on my belt. And then I picked up my keys and got in my little Saturn, my 10-year-old Saturn, my chariot of war, and I drove here. And I, so I took up and I put on, and I'm used to those sorts of things. Now, it's what we're supposed to do. That's not a problem. Knowing what to put on knowing what to take up as we get ready for this daily spiritual combat that is our ordinary experience as life as a Christian in this world. Well, that's what Paul works to teach us here. And he does this by working piece by piece through the picture of what Puritan pastor William Gurnall called the Christian in complete armor. Now, after the first service, someone thanked me for a great series because there's a lot of stuff to talk about today. It was one sermon, but I got a whole series worth done in it. But in my defense, William Gurnall took 1,100 pages to talk about the Christian in complete armor, and I've got about 20 minutes. So I'm going to get started, if you don't mind. First of all, I want you to notice that according to Paul here, to fight well, we must put on God's defensive armor. To fight well, we must put on God's defensive armor. And as Paul writes in this passage, he clearly has in mind the picture of the Roman legionnaire in full battle dress. Now, as an ambassador in chains, as he calls himself here in verse 20, as, as an apostle who is now imprisoned, he is going to be surrounded by military men all the time. And so it's very likely that he's seen one of Rome's finest all out, de- decked out in full armor at least a time or two along the way. And probably his readers all had as well. Well, as his mind ranges over that image, he first focuses on the gear that a soldier would strap on to protect his body in close combat. And according to Paul here, we who are foot soldiers for the kingdom of God are equipped in much the same way for our struggle with the powers of darkness in this world. So I want you to notice, first of all, according to Paul here, the first piece of equipment to be put on is the belt. Notice verse 14. He says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, for those of us who arrived here today wearing our J.C. Penney two-for-one special fake leather belts, this may not sound like a particularly comforting piece of armor to have on. But for the Roman soldier... This word belt signified a sizable leather belt that would be cinched tight around the waist, and it did several important things for the soldier all at once. 
First of all, it gave him a place to take all the loose parts of his uniform and tuck them away to get ready to move into battle so that there would be nothing to hinder. And not only that, it provided a place for him to strap on the scabbard so that he could put his sword in there, and it would be right at hand when the fight was ready to get going. And once the fight started, this same belt, heavy leather that it was, tied against him as it's bound, would provide protection for his lower abdomen from, from slashing swords and stabbing spears. Well, according to Paul here, the believer has one of these to wear as well, and it's made out of truth. It's made out of truth. Well, when he says this here, he isn't just talking about the objective truth of the revealed will of God that we find in the Scriptures. Now, that's clearly the starting point, of course. After all, without the foundation of a sure and certain knowledge of God, a knowledge that is only available to us through the Word of God, it would be impossible for us to assemble any kind of suit of armor that would do us any good in this world. We'd simply be stitching it together ourselves. But that said... The emphasis here in this passage, I think, is on what the truth of God produces in us as it transforms us into people who both know and who speak the truth in our dealings with God and with others. In other words, when we have an integrity of life that grows out of our grasp of the truth, this truth that we've come to know personally and the one who is himself the way, the truth, and the life, when our private lives square with our public lives, when our words match our thoughts, when our motives line up with our actions, and when all of those things are aligned with the Word of God written and clearly displayed in Christ, when all of those things are true, then we will be protected from the low blows of Satan's accusations of hypocrisy and the doubts that they bring to us as we engage him on the field of battle day by day in this life. You know, this charge of hypocrisy is, is, is so common. It gets used all the time, doesn't it? What's the fastest way to shut up a Christian who's in your face? It's to say, oh, I can't believe in that stuff because of all the hypocrites in the church. And here's the problem. I'm one of those, right? Because a hypocrite, that word means play actor. It means there are, that there are times where I take up a mask and I put it on and, and I present something to the world that I know isn't quite squaring with who I am on the inside. It's a very effective charge. And Paul says here, how in the world do you go out into the world and face that kind of accusation, especially when you know that you are not yet perfected in Christ, that you do struggle at times like I do? How do you do that? Paul says here, by seeing a life that is rooted and developed in truthfulness that allows us to see authenticity grow in our lives and authenticity buys credibility. And Paul says that's the first piece of armor that we need to cinch on tight. Secondly then, Paul tells us that the next piece of armor to be put on is the breastplate. Now, if you ever played football, you know that your shoulder pads come with a little, couple little plates right here that cover to serve the upper part of your chest, and there's another on the back, but mostly all of the heavy stuff's up here on your shoulders. Uh, and I will confess to my true football experience later on, so I won't go into that now. But, you know, you remember that little thing? That's not what a breastplate is talking about when it came to Roman armor. A breastplate for a Roman soldier would be a piece of leather, a long piece of leather, that would have either metal plate on it or, or chain mail armor attached over it. And that thing stretched from your neck to your thigh. In other words, its purpose was to protect the heart and the vital organs and your torso from everything that might happen in battle once the fight gets started. And according to Paul here, the Christian has been provided one of these in the righteousness that we have in Christ. 
Now again, Paul may have in mind here the object of righteousness that we have been given in Jesus in our justification by faith. You know, this is the, that right standing that we now enjoy before the Father, a standing that was established by Jesus' life of perfect and complete obedience to the will of God during His earthly life and ministry. And you see, as we embrace the salvation that's offered to us in the gospel by Christ, that right standing that He has established is now credited to our account by God so that we now can stand not only forgiven but considered righteous in God's sight through grace alone. Let me tell you, friends, that is a precious truth. It set the world ablaze, and it will set your life ablaze once you really get a handle on it. But as precious as that is to us, it seems more likely that Paul's talking here about the righteous and godly life that grows over time in those who have been declared righteous by God through faith. Not only is righteousness imputed or credited to us, but it is also imparted to us by the work of the Spirit who grows us in grace, who grows the fruit of the Spirit of, 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 of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness and all those other great qualities of, of life that are Christ-like alone. That's what He does in us. And when we begin to see holiness in the life of the believer reflected in our lives, we find that we have now one of the best defenses against the deadly thrust of temptation that Satan and his allies make toward us. In other words, when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, as Jesus describes this in the Sermon on the Mount, and as we give ourselves to pursuing the satisfaction of that hunger, in the power of the Spirit, by pursuing Jesus day by day, we are far less susceptible to the pull of other appetites. Our hearts are protected because they now long to know God and not simply to, to take in all the stuff that this world offers. And let me tell you, friends, that is a protection that we need as we wade out into the world through those doors in just a few minutes. Thirdly, though, Paul tells us also here that the well-protected soldier is well-shod. This is justification for all of you who love to shoe shop, I guess, but Paul says your shoes matter. In many ways, you see, this was the Roman secret weapon for all this armor that I'm describing today. The thing that really made the difference in battle for them went all the way down to their feet. The Roman legionnaire wore a leather half-boot that had studs on the bottom that would really grip in good terrain. If you played golf as long as I have, you remember back in the day of metal spikes that would dig into the turf there and also the, also the, uh, the carpet in the clubhouse, which is why I guess we're all plastic cleats now. But it would be that same idea. And with that kind of grip, you see, the Roman soldier could go anywhere, he could do anything required, and he could do it at a speed that gave him a tactical advantage over his opponents. In other words, the Roman's shoe, as simple and humble as it might be, allowed him to have the advantage both on defense and on offense. And that's exactly the same point Paul is making here when he says that we too have that kind of advantage in the readiness to believe and proclaim the gospel of grace that ought to mark our lives from day to day. Notice what he says there. He says, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, that's an interesting statement. It's a little hard to, uh, to sort out. But basically, you have a couple of options, and I think they both apply. On the one hand, you see, this word for readiness 
can be used to talk about firmness. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because when the Christian is standing on the gospel, this gospel of peace, which has declared to us and actually brought us reconciliation with a holy God, then we are literally immovable when we, stand our, when we try and stand in the face of the doubts and fears that Satan loves to throw at us. But you see, not only does this readiness give us the ability to be immovable on defense, this firmness of footing, it turns out that it also makes us unstoppable on offense because the thing that we are pushing off of, the thing that we are driving forward with is our commitment to this gospel of peace, which God calls the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And you see, friends, when we go out through those doors and begin to intersect the lives of people around us, we start to realize that we can do so not in our own power and in our own strength, but with this wonderful gospel that not only establishes us, but redeems them. You know, as I studied this passage this week, I kept coming back to the old but very true cliche that the best defense is a good offense. Because I think that's exactly Paul's point here. You see, the the pieces I've described here as defensive armor are that, but they are defensive in the sense that they are intended to provide protection while the soldier is moving forward. And that's true of us too. And yet, you see, as fine as all these pieces of armor are, and they are fine, they will do us no good unless we actually put them on. Unless we put them on in faith, you see, by seeking to see each of these character qualities grow of truth and righteousness and readiness through the grace and power of the Spirit working within us day in and day out. They must be growing in us, and we must be committed to doing those things that enable them to grow within us. So the question is, are you putting on your equipment? You know, my football career was a brief one. Now comes, now comes the truth. Here in the land of SEC football, in the heart of the Deep South, I have to publicly confess that my football career extended over two years of peewee football and then came to an end. Sixth grade was it for me. I know some of you went all the way through college. I wish maybe the pros, but sixth grade was it for me because that was the year that I got expensive and breakable braces on my face, and my parents thought basketball was just the best idea known to man. But let me tell you, one thing I learned in my very brief uh, career was the importance of equipment day. After all, there were big guys out there in the world, guys like Jimmy Brothers. And he would hurt you if you weren't careful. He played for the school that my wife actually went to. And so, so Jimmy's, uh, you know, somewhere living in memory. I'll tell you, Jimmy was big. He was huge. And I played center, and it took me and the guard, the two of us, to try and at least just sort of smack against him now and then. He was scary. And so you know what? You remembered that on equipment day. And so there you are picking out your pads, and you're picking out your helmet. Mm, this will work with Jimmy. Mm, that'll keep Jimmy off me. Okay, this is good. You know, you start to realize this stuff's got to last you. This stuff's got to get you from practice all the way through Jimmy, all the way to the championship game and glory. It's got to make do. And so knowing that, you took Equipment Day seriously. Well, friends, let me assure you, this isn't a game that we are in today. This is war. And according to Paul here, every day is equipment day for the Christian. And if we don't take that seriously, we are going to be in deep trouble before we know it. So let me ask you, are you showing up on a regular basis to claim your armor? 
are you picking it up and putting it on every day? As exotic as this image is, there really is no secret to it. See, here's the thing. Putting on our defensive armor is really all about engaging with God daily through the faithful use of the ordinary means of grace, as the theologians describe it, and doing so in a spirit of humility and need and repentance. Let me say that again. Putting on our defensive armor is all about engaging with God daily through the faithful use of the ordinary means of grace in a spirit of humility, of need, and of repentance. Now, what does that mean? What are these ordinary means of grace, the way God ministers His sustaining, nurturing, strengthening grace into our lives day by day? Well, it's simply things like reading and applying the Scriptures, simply things like praying, as Paul says here in verse 18, in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. You think He wants us to pray? It means doing things like encouraging one another and the more difficult of the two, being encouraged by others, allowing ourselves to be encouraged by others, to fight the good fight and to keep the faith to the very end. You see, as we commit our time and our energy and the devotion of our hearts to pursuing these very ordinary things, what will come about is this. God will use that applied in faith to enable us to experience this transformation into Christ-likeness that those things produce in our lives when we faithfully engage them over time. As the Spirit does His work, of course, but nonetheless as we engage them. And you see, as those qualities grow in us, as, this, as this, these qualities of truthfulness and righteousness and readiness grow in us, we will go from being easy pickings for the enemy to a well-protected, a well-provisioned foe who cannot be defeated so easily and who cannot be ignored either because as those things grow in us, the world around will take notice. But they won't notice us. They will notice the one who grew that stuff in us despite ourselves. And that's encouraging. So that's what we have to, that's where we have to start. That's where we have to, to go to put on the defensive armor. That's our putting on. But now there's a second thing I want you to notice and that having put on those things, Paul says, we then have to take up God's weapons for the fight. Notice what he says there in verse 16. He says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. You see that verb change there, verse 16, from put on to take up? We see the reason Paul does this, I think, is to remind us that merely having the body covered from head to toe is really not all it's about to be ready to go into the fight. We also have to lay hold of three other pieces of equipment that will enable us to move forward as we take our stand against the enemy by going on the offensive and defeat him in the power and grace of God. So notice, according to Paul here, the first thing we're to take up is the shield. Two hands, right? So we've got one. We're going to snatch up the shield, Paul says. The shield that Paul has in mind here isn't that little round one that looks like an old-fashioned trash can lid that was used for close-in fighting, the kind that we sort of got used to if we ever saw Gladiator. 
But rather, the one Paul's talking about here, the shield he's talking about here, is, is actually large enough to cover the entire body. It was the size of a door. It was made of a metal frame with three or four sheets of leather attached to it. And then that whole thing would be soaked in water before a battle, and every man would grab one. And you see, once the battle began, the front line of soldiers would take that shield and hold it straight up in front of them. And then everybody in the back lines would take their shield and hold it up over them. And it basically created a moving leather wall that walked slowly but surely on those famous Roman shoes toward the enemy. And by the way, I'm not going to stand on it for long, but I want to make a note here. Do you notice that the best way to fight... The only way to fight, the only way it would work for the Roman legionnaire, the only way it works for us is to fight together. Because, you see, it was when all were standing together and all were holding the shield and each individually sharing those together that we together enjoyed the full protection that God supplies. You see, that's the way it worked on the battlefield. That's the way it works on this battlefield. And it's worth taking a note of that. But anyway, because these shields were soaking wet, you see, when the enemy fired flaming arrows at them, they'd be deflected and they'd be extinguished all at the same time. Well, according to Paul here, faith serves that same function for the believer. After all, one of Satan's favorite tactics is to hit us with all sorts of flaming arrows. Here they come. You know, here comes one over this shoulder and another one over that shoulder. And I look up and I've got three more falling out of the sky at me. And there are these kinds of trials and temptations that come our way in life. And, and the goal of the evil one in sending those arrows at us, is shooting at us like that, is to start a raging inferno of unbelief and then of sin in our lives as we start to doubt the goodness of God. As we start to wonder about His character, as we start to wonder about His love for us by allowing all of these things to come our way. But friends, when we hold firmly to Christ and our lives are saturated by trust in His goodness and grace, then those arrows won't stick. And we will be safe not only as we stand our ground, but even as we band together to gain ground for the kingdom in our lives and in our world as we follow Christ out onto the offensive. You know, just knowing that the darts that the enemy throws our way cannot penetrate a faith-soaked life ought to do much to supply the comfort and the courage that we need to endure and to stand in the evil day. So that's why we need to take up the shield of faith. And we need to keep it up as we stand together and seek to be faithful in following the Savior when He leads us out, out, of, out of here back into the battle. So that's what we take up with one hand. But that gives us one hand left, right? So with this hand, we first of all, Paul says, must take up our helmet and put it on our heads. Now, for a Roman soldier, this helmet was made of iron or bronze, and it was, it was tough. It would take a hammer or an axe to penetrate it. Well, according to Paul here, the one material tough enough to provide that kind of protection for us spiritually is our salvation in Christ. You see that? Take the helmet of salvation. What does he mean by that? Well, I think that what he means is that if we are saved and we know it, then we have an assurance that no blow from the evil one can really penetrate. We may be dinged a bit. We may have our heads scrambled a little bit, but it will not penetrate there. And according to Paul here, that kind of assurance can give us the protection we need from fear and doubt when it arises in our hearts. You see, it's obvious that having a sturdy helmet is indispensable to our defensive kit as a Christian. No one in his right mind wants to go out into that world with his head uncovered, with his mind exposed to the assaults of the evil one, especially when we can cover it so effectively. 
through this wonderful provision of God. But you see, the other benefit of this helmet of salvation is that it also makes us bold and courageous as we go on the offensive as well. In other words, we don't have to duck and cover our way through life, you know. We are covered by the assurance of salvation, by an assurance of salvation. We can walk with our heads held high, not in pride, but in confidence in God who has equipped us, who has saved us, and who sends us with that. We can move forward in that confidence knowing that since our hope for life to come, the life that truly matters is safe and secure, that we can live with what the football coaches all like to call reckless abandon in obedience to Christ. You know, you hear that every Saturday if you watch football. Oh, he's diving in there with reckless abandon. And I thought, you know, I get that now. With my, head, with my helmet on, I'll dive in there because it's not going to get kicked off. And that's good. And that's how God sends us into the fight. But the helmets on our head now still have one hand free. So Paul says this picture wouldn't be complete without using that hand to grasp and take up our sword, which he says is the word of God. Now, in one sense, he's talking the sword he's talking about here is the short, heavy sword that, that was used in close combat that was a vital piece of the Roman soldier's defensive equipment because that's how he would fend off the blows of his enemy. But in that picture that Paul paints for us here, this sword is also the soldier's primary offensive weapon as we take the fight to the enemy. According to Paul here, when the Word of God is taken up by faith in this, by this child of God in the midst of spiritual warfare, those two things are true for us as well. You see, on defense, this weapon, the sword of the Spirit, gives us the same ability to knock away the blows of Satan temptations that Jesus had when he was faced with those temptations in the wilderness. Remember how he answered each successive attack of the evil one with a simple, it is written, we have that too. And not only that, on offense, the sword of the Spirit is the weapon that, as the writer of Hebrews describes it, is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to penetrate to the very core of the human soul to convict and convert and comfort and transform. And the implication of Paul here is that the Christian must become a master of his weapon if he's to wage war as he should. And that's because it is this word and this word alone that is used by the Spirit of God to destroy the works of Satan in this world and to bring in the victorious kingdom of Christ. And in the hands of a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus, who wields it, energized as it is by prayer, as Paul commands in verses 19 and 20 here. This is a formidable weapon indeed. Now, in the spirit of, if it made money once, it can make money twice. The A-Team is now back with us, this time on the big screen. Now, some of you grew up watching the A-Team. You picked that up along the way in the 80s. Maybe you catch it now on uh, cable channels, and, and it's always worth a laugh, isn't it? Well, the show, if you don't know anything about it, was about a team of four Vietnam veterans who would use their combat experience to help poor, innocent people get justice when they couldn't get it from the man. And all the while, these folks are on the run from the, from the army for a reason that I never did figure out watching the television show the first time through. Well, in every episode, there are multiple firefights, including one great firefight at the end of every episode. And in those firefights, the A-Team would use more ammo than the 82nd Airborne could use in a year. And yet, if you noticed, they never hit anybody. 
Nobody dies on the A-team, right? They just, I mean, it's like bullets fly everywhere and they never, never hit anyone until we're right ready to end the episode and that's when somebody makes that one shot where with one bullet it takes the bad guy's gun right out of his hand and then we cut to commercial and we're done, right? Well, that always seemed a little strange to me. But the point they make there is a good one. And that is, if you lose your weapon, you might as well pack it in because the fight is over. Well, friends, that little truism isn't just true for TV. And from what the Apostle Paul tells us here, it seems like that's what our enemy would like to do to us. But friends, we must never let that happen. That means that we need to hang on to God's Word as if our lives depended on it, which, in fact, they do. So let me ask you, what kind of grip do you have on your sword this morning? How skillfully do you wield the Word of God in your life and in your witness from day to day as you walk with Christ in this world, defending and attacking in the proclamation of the gospel? You see, this is no small thing because once you realize that this piece of equipment is the key to all the rest, it all starts to make sense. After all, you see, it's the Word of God, isn't it, that fuels the faith which shields us from the darts of the enemy. It's the Word of God that fills our hearts with the knowledge and assurance of salvation that protects our minds when the hammer blows fall. It's the Word of God, you know, that teaches the truth of the righteousness of God in the gospel of grace that builds that integrity and that holiness of life, that readiness of the gospel within us that so equips us and so protects us. And, of course, it's the Word of God that enables us to accomplish the mission given to us by the Lord Jesus Himself who sent us into the world to be His ambassadors just as the Father sent Him into the world to be our Savior. Realize it does not sound like some great thing to be people of the book, to be readers of it, to be hearers of it, to be doers of it in our daily lives. And yet, if we believe the Apostle Paul here this morning, That one simple act, that one simple daily act of taking up the Word of God and reading it with readiness, with openness, with humility, with faith, with repentance, with expectation, that one daily act will make us far more armed and dangerous and therefore ready to stand our ground to the glory of God than we could possibly imagine. The enemy understands this, which is why he likes so to keep us from it. But do we know and believe what he knows? That's the question. And will we let that knowledge shape our lives in the week to come? You know, it's just possible that some of us sitting here, hearing me say all of this, might be thinking to ourselves, you know, my life's complicated enough. Uh, All this warfare business really makes it all the more crazy. I think I'll just opt out. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity, but I think I will pass on military service in the kingdom of God this time around. Well, folks, I hate to tell you, but there really is no avoiding the fight if you know Jesus Christ. We are in this fight, whether we like it or not, because we have an enemy who brings the fight to us out of hatred of our king. But if that weren't enough, we have a king who sends us into the fight because he loves this world that's under the enemy's domination. And he sends us to do his work, to proclaim the gospel, to see his kingdom come and his will be done as we faithfully do so, humbly in the power of the Spirit. Now the question isn't, will we be in it? The question is, How will we fight it? Will we fight this battle 
dressed and armed in the provisions that God supplies, which are more than sufficient to keep us safe and make us effective in the war to which he's called us? Or will we neglect our armor? Will we neglect our weapons and choose instead, either intentionally or unintentionally, to take on the world, the flesh, and the devil on our own, dressed in nothing more than the ratty T-shirt of our own strength instead of the chainmail armor supplied by the grace of God in Christ. That's our choice today. Now, when you look at it like that, there seems to be only one logical answer. So let me challenge you again as we close with the words of Paul in verse 13 here. He says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. May God give us grace to do as he commands. May God give us grace to dress as he's provided. And when our time to stand before him comes, may we hear his well done, good and faithful servant as those who have stood the test and fought the fight in faith to the glory of the king and commander whom we love, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, how we thank you so for the equipment that you supply to us today. How precious it is to be able to, to have these things to put on and these things to take up. But, Father, also how, how true it is that we have failed to do both of those things time and time again. Forgive us, Father. Help us to repent today, to turn again to you, to seek from you those things that you supply, that we might then follow you in obedience to those in the world around us. And, Father, I do pray for that person today who hears all of these things and is struck by just how much is going on in the world that he may or she may not realize. Father, that there is a spiritual battle going on for the souls of men. And, Father, they recognize that they have not yet bowed the knee to the King, Jesus. I pray for that person that today would be the day that even now in the quietness of their own heart they would turn from themselves to you, ask you to forgive their sins. Receive from you this gift of peace and assurance and of grace and commit themselves even now to walk with you in obedience as a faithful child dressed in your armor as we go forward into this world. Receive us in our prayer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.